In filmmaking, a surprise ending or a quest for a mysterious object can derail your movie entirely, if not handled well. Today, we take on the best and worst plot twist and MacGuffins in cinematic history. We're talking final reveals in the films Psycho and The Sixth Sense, Marcellus Wallace's briefcase in Pulp Fiction, The One Ring to Rule Them All, and many more. We also discuss the careers of such luminous directors as Alfred Hitchcock, M. Night Shyamalan, and David Fincher, and whether or not being known for plot twists and MacGuffins is actually a good thing. I'm Adrian Johnson, and as always, thanks for listening. For uh, for plot twists and MacGuffins, man, I, I came up with a couple of operational definitions that I wanted us to consider. I think uh, I think I think you'd be okay with it, but you know, you tell me. Mm, okay. A plot twist is a deviation from an expected story beat. It usually uh, represents the introduction of a radical change in the direction or expected outcome of the plot in a work of fiction. Yep. Um, and a MacGuffin is a plot device that's used in films and books that sets the characters into motion and drives the story. So a MacGuffin is an object. It's a, it's an idea, a person, it's a goal uh, that the characters are either in pursuit of or which serves as motivations for their actions. And the MacGuffin is usually revealed in the first act Mm -hmm. and often has little to no importance to the audience or the reader. Right. And that's what I was going to ask, you know, and I'm glad you brought up trying to um, define a working definition of a plot twist in a MacGuffin because I was going to ask, and I know it'll come up with some of the um, plot twists and films that we're going to mention here in the episode, mm-hmm. but how but how radical does a plot twist need to be rather than like, okay, to differentiate it from say, okay, this is a turn in, in the plot. You know what I'm saying? This is just the plot maybe transitioning over to the next act or, you know, this is something mid-act as opposed to like a plot twist where it's like, it almost turns the whole uh, continuity of the film on its axis. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like it almost just turns it completely like what? You know what I'm saying? And it, and it, and it almost, it almost, you know, makes the film go in a different direction, but the continuity is still the same. It's just, you know, confuzzled if that's a word for just a second right. at the revelation <laughs> yeah. at the revelation confused and, and confused and puzzled yeah there we go yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh man but yeah like what, what what do you think would be the difference between having a uh, plot twist and just a turn of the plot so I think some of the things that you, you kind of implied in what you just said are evidence of a true plot twist. You know, a turn in the story or a turn, a plot turn is just simply, you know, the thing moving forward, the thing, you know, being propulsive. Mm-hmm. But I think a true plot twist, one, is something that's kind of shocking to the audience, mm. something that we didn't see coming. It's shocking to the characters within the story. It has to be shocking to them. 
and it has to kind of change the pace of things going forward. So, for instance, I'll use um, the crying game from uh, 1992, right? The big plot twist happens very early in the movie where Stephen Ray's character realizes that Jay Davidson's character is male and not female, or he's a trans woman. We didn't have those, we didn't use those terms back then. Yeah. But that's essentially what what Jay what Jay's character was. So he finds out that Jay is essentially a man under under the woman's clothes and has male genitalia. That's the big plot twist. Mm-hmm. But there's like a second mini twist of you see uh, Force Whitaker's character Jody, who's been killed. But they do like a fake flashback where you see him laughing at the fact that he sent Stephen Ray to his ex-girlfriend after Stephen Ray has killed him, mm-hmm. only for Stephen Ray to find out that his girlfriend is, is, is actually you know a trans woman. And then the third twist is, in terms of how it changes the, the story, uh-huh. is the expectation, this is in the early 90s now, the expectation is that Stephen Ray's character is going to run for the hills but he still ends up having this very bonded, intimate relationship with Jay Davidson's character to the point where he goes to jail or to prison at the end of the film. And they hilariously play the song Stand By Your Man. Stand by your <laughs> <Right>. man. Remember? <laughs> so it changed things and then it put things back in the same continuity as what you just described a minute ago. You know, it changed things for him because he's like, wait, what? Mm-hmm. And then at the same time, he still continued to have this somewhat romantic relationship with this person that he was seeking to have a romantic relationship with, in a way. You know, that, that is so interesting because I remember as a kid, I was 12 when the uh, Crane game came out. And, and you probably recall this as well. Like, oh, don't reveal what the big twist is. Don't reveal what the big revelation is in the crying game. Now, remember, there was like a mini controversy. Right. Not necessarily just because of what the revelation was, but as people found out, you know, they were pretty good about keeping it hush, hush. Like, oh, man, you got to go rent this. Oh, man, you got to go. You got to go check this. Out. You remember the fervor over that, you know? No, no, abs- absolutely. And, and it's a thing where, like, in today's world... You know, it just would have been spoiled like instantly oh, on yeah. social media and all over everywhere. You just there would have been no way to hide it. Mm-hmm. Although there are still examples in modern day of revelations, uh, you know, in films and specifically at the ends of films that people don't know about. Uh, and I've got some examples that I'll, I'm going to cite in our conversation. But, right. yeah, I, I specifically remember Vince, my buddy Vince, calling me or he was home for Christmas or something. He was like, you got to see the crying game. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I was like, why? What's up with it? He was like, you just got to see it. You got to see it. Yeah. And he didn't say anything else. He didn't spoil it. He didn't share any 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 other information other than that. And uh, and it truly was a revelation. It truly was like, whoa. You know what I mean? But <laughs> as I revealed on this show, my dad was an avid, you know, video rental video renter. Okay. And as his son, I would whatever he picked up, I would watch afterwards. You know what I'm saying? And I remember mm-hmm. specifically my dad getting it. Like, whatever was the hot movie, you know, he would get. So he got the crying game, okay? <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, shit. Boy. Oh, shit. Go ahead. <laughs> so, 
So I remember him bringing it home, and you know, I, I had heard about it in the news, you know, about oh, there's supposed to be some like big revelation in here, but they were, mm-hmm. but even the media was doing a good job of keeping it hush hush, you know. So it was very recommended. So he brings home, you know, the crying game. I was like, oh, this this is that movie. Hey, uh, Dad, have you watched this yet? He's like, oh no, no, not yet, not yet, not yet. So he checked it out later that night. <laughs> later that night, and he was just like, the next day it was it was a weekend. He was just like, Adrian, I don't, I don't, I, I, I don't want you to watch that. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, "Why, Dad? Why?" He's like, "Just nah, nah. It's it's, it's 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 his criteria of you know a good movie was if it had enough killing and not enough talk, too much talking. You know what I'm saying? Right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. it, it, it just had too much talking, too much talking, too much talking. I was like, "Oh, okay." But I but I went ahead and watched it anyway. And when it got to the reveal. I was, you know, I'm 12, so I was kind of confused, like, um, right, ah, uh, because again, we did, we didn't have any context of, you know, transgender or anything like that, you know. Plus, I'm a callow youth of 12. What do I know? And I'm just like, huh, what, huh, huh? So I don't know. It kind of washed over me, and I was like. So it's a so it's a woman who's a man a man I don't know but that was kind of like one of my earliest experiences with a a, a plot twist that I could you know contextualize mm-hmm. I'm sure that there were others prior to that of course but that's the one where it was like oh man I heard about it in the news I heard about it you know just hearsay here and there and here it is right now you know what I'm saying so I think another one that would be considered a plot twist. Uh, along these same lines, where again it doesn't change the continuity, but you weren't quite sure, and then when it's confirmed at the end of the movie, you're like, "Oh my goodness!" Mm-hmm. Is when uh, Michael Corleone grabs Fredo and kisses him and says, "I know you're the one mm-hmm. who told uh, Garbazzi or whatever his name is who our dad was going to be. I know you're the one who did it. I know you're the one who did it." And he kisses him and he gives him that kiss, the kiss of death or whatever. Death. Mm-hmm. And and then after that, when he actually has his brother executed, yeah, you know, out on on the boat on the on the lake, and 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 then you you know you you really are, it's like the curtain is completely pulled back, and you see how ruthless a person Michael has become now that he has assumed the mantle of the Don and, and the Godfather too. Mm-hmm. Um, it was the two, or was it one? It was no, it was one. No, no, that 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 was two. Remember, uh, the first one, yeah, the first one ended with you know K outside the door, and they're oh, yeah. they're saying, "Hey, you're the Don." Now he closes the door, right, right. <laughs> <laughs> he said, "Bad talk." <laughs> That's it. That's it. That is it. Well, um, as we get into plot twists and MacGuffins, I definitely wanted to explore. Good examples of plot twists, kind of like the ones that we're discussing now. Yeah. Uh, also, bad examples of plot twists where they're either not shocking mm-hmm. or they're delivered in such a way where they're lackluster, they don't have any impact, uh, they don't change the story at all, mm-hmm. or in some cases, they're just stupid. Mm-hmm. You know, they're just dumb. And and I have an example of that in here where even though the plot twist at the end is dumb, mm-hmm. The rest of the movie is so good and so compelling and so thrilling. 
I still would be, I would recommend it to people to see if you haven't ever seen it. And I'll, I'll wait and get to it in a minute. All right. But, um, and then also too, as far as MacGuffins go, um, Hitchcock very, you know, famously talked about MacGuffins for years. He, you know, in interviews, you know, on talk shows, he would talk about them. Uh, in your films. And one of them is, uh, is a MacGuffin. Can you explain what a MacGuffin yes, is? Yes, a MacGuffin you see in most films about spies. It is a thing that the spies are after. In the days of Rudyard Kipling, it would be the plans of the fort on the Khyber Pass. Mm -hmm. It would be the plans of an airplane engine and the plans uh, of an atom bomb, anything you like. It's always called the thing that the characters on the screen worry about, but the audience don't care. And a MacGuffin, again, to go back to our, our operational definition, is, is just anything. It could be anything. It could be, it could be an object, you know, uh, it could be uh, a, a flash drive, it could be a disc, it could be a person, it could be some kind of a mission to achieve something, it could be anything. But all it is, all its, all its use is really to, to is to just drive the plot, is to drive the characters forward in the uh, in the story. But what are some some what you think are great examples of effective plot twists that really, through you as an audience member and other people who are you know audience members, really threw us on our asses and, and really worked? Oh man, right off the top, I got to go with Chinatown. Oh man, they had a couple in there. Yeah. Um, and again, even though it's going on a 50 year old movie, I'm not going to spoil it for anyone who has never seen the film. You know what I'm saying? Oh, the, the, the twist in there, and there's a couple of them, but the major one that was just like, oh man, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. You could literally hear the hot grease sizzling when they, <laughs> when they, dro when they dropped the meat in there. You're like, oh. oh. That shit popping. <laughs> <laughs> Got to put the lid on it. <laughs> it was, it was hot. It was hot, 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 hot. And I was like, I was a young man. I was, I wasn't a, a, a I was in probably in my early twenties when I saw Chinatown. Same here. Yep. And um, and yeah, it was definitely that. We were like, what? Mm -hmm. They did what? Oh my god. <laughs> oh man. Yeah, that one is really great. I think probably the most famous one that I can think of would certainly be the end of Psycho. Mm. You know, the end of Psycho where, you know, you see, um, I forgot the actress who was killed in the shower, Janet Lee. That's right. Mm -hmm. When Janet Lee, you know, she's been killed in the shower and there's an investigation going on. And uh, there's a police detective who's already been killed, who was at the Bates Motel trying to, you know, he was trying to find out more information about what happened to her. Yeah. And his investigation led him to the Bates Motel. And at the very end of the movie, you know, you see what you think is Norman Bates' mother come running out with a knife. And then the guy grabs the figure and, and the wig falls off of the figure. And you realize it, it's Norman Bates dressed up as his mother <laughs> and that his mother is essentially a, you know, decrepit, decaying bag of bones and a, a decomposing body you know, in a chair in the house and that she's not alive. And he's been talking to himself this whole time. And he has some kind of a, um, you know, it was probably called split personality back then or something, or schizophrenia, not schizophrenia, but split personality. I guess now it would be like a uh, dissociative personality disorder, according to the DSM. But that was just like, 
Oh my god! You know, Mrs. Bates. I would argue that of the MacGuffins and plot twists that, you know, Hitchcock came up with in his various films, that one was his most effective. Right. You know, like the whole movie led to that point so effectively that you were like, yeah, oh man. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. 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 And it was expert use of a plot twist with Norman actually being his mother, dressing up as his mother and killing people. Mm-hmm. And it was also an example of a MacGuffin because the movie starts with Janet Lee as, a, an, I think, an insurance secretary. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And she steals steals a bunch of money, 40 grand. Yeah. And she, you know, so you think it's just going to be this kind of thriller, cat and mouse, will she get away with it? You know, what's going to happen to this person? You know, oh, you know, you don't really realize it's going to turn into... Essentially, the template for you know for horror movies and some for slasher movies in the eighties. Oh yeah. Uh, go, going forward, but as far as end reveals, you know the very final end of the third act kinds of reveals, like Psycho. Uh, there are a few others that I can think of. Uh, the end of Planet of the Apes. Oh yeah. You know when Heston's character is on the beach and he sees the Statue of Liberty and he's he's literally just you, like you did it th- just. Yes, yes. <laughs> you sons of bitches, you know. <laughs> Another one would be uh, the end of uh, The Sixth Sense. Mm-hmm. You know, where, you know, the entire movie, you know, uh, the kid, the, the child actor's been telling you that, hey, I see dead people. I see dead people. And then Bruce Willis realizes he is dead. Yes. Uh, he did not survive that gunshot in his apartment all those years ago. And that he is another one of the many ghosts that this kid is trying to basically make peace with as he tries to move through physical life and they move through metaphysical life or through the spiritual life, Mm. uh, spiritual world. But that was a good one. Another one by M night Shyamalan. And we'll talk, I wanted to talk a little bit about, you know, filmmakers, uh, later on who are really known for these kind of twist endings. And I know you got a lot to say, probably have a lot to say about that too, but, uh, (laughs) Um, but uh, the end of Unbreakable, mm, okay, with uh, Bruce Bruce Willis and Sam Jackson, yeah, and and that's one that really got me because I didn't see it coming. You know, there were you know it was the script was very deftly handled where you didn't really see like okay, you know you just see that Sam Jackson has this physical uh, this physical ailment. He's really a bit unstable when it comes to this. Yeah. But you just think he's just obsessed with this guy that he thinks has superpowers. And we're never confirmed that until the very end of the movie when Bruce Willis does eventually take on the uh, this this uh, the spree killer and uh, and kills the guy. And then, you know, he realizes, OK, you know, I do have something special. Yeah. And then when he visits Sam Jackson and Sam Jackson tells him. He shakes Sam Jackson's hand, and then all of a sudden he realizes Samuel Jackson caused all these calamities, these accidents, hotel fires and train derailments and all this kind of stuff, just so he could find the person 
who is the opposite of him. And then he, when he gives that haunting, chilling, you know, now that I know who you are, I know who I am and I'm not an accident. It was like, oh my God, it was so, it was so revelatory because it was like, it spoke to his evil, you know, evil, you know, in pursuit of, you know, personal knowledge and the fact that he was so lost as a human being, he was willing to go to, to those lengths to find out, quote unquote, who he was. Oh, it was just chilling. Now that we know who you are, I know who I am. I'm not a mistake. It all makes sense. In a comic, you know how you can tell who the arch villain's going to be? He's the exact opposite of the hero. And most times they're friends like you and me. I should have known way back when. You know why, David? Because of the kids. Do you, do you have some more that you had on your list? Um, the end of Citizen Kane, which also, in a way, doubles not only as a uh, plot twist, but also the MacGuffin, because all throughout the movie, <laughs> <laughs> they've been like, you know, in fact, the movie starts with Rosebud, you know, and he drops the snow globe and everything, right? So the reporter in the movie goes through um, the life story of Charles Foster Kane, trying to find out, you know, not only what his life story is, but who is Rosebud? What is Rosebud? Right. And so you get to the end of the film, it's throwing the trash away. This one I will spoil because everyone should know this. It's a great movie. But the ending is they're cleaning out Kane's mansion, you know, just tossing trash away ostensibly. And you come to find out, so throwing stuff in the incinerator, there is a sled that they show actually in the movie. So it's not like it came out of nowhere. Yeah. Um, that, you know, Kane used as a child, but you see on close up, the name of that sled is Rosebud. And Rosebud is the MacGuffin, but it's also referring to Kane's lost innocence as a child. He mm -hmm. wanted to get back to that. You know what I'm saying? Through all of his travails and everything, the one thing that he wanted was represented by that sled, his childhood, his innocence, you know? And I remember watching that when I was a late teenager and still the profundity of it hit me even then. It's like, oh man, so you mean this whole movie was so cyclical, it went right back to that. And it makes perfect sense. It's like, oh, wow. So that that was a um, not only a plot twist, but also a MacGuffin that worked. It was very satisfying to me. Yeah, yeah. That one comes up on probably anybody's list of great plot twists. And, and also, like you said, uh, MacGuffin, I guess not dissimilar for uh, like Psycho having elements of both within the same movie and using them both really effectively mm. uh, to, uh, you know, to throw the audience off and also to bring the audience through, you know, the, uh, you know, the story. But um, a couple other examples I can think of for sure. Uh, Darth Vader telling Luke that he is Luke's father. Oh, as a of plot twist. It's like, oh, my God, yeah, I am your father. You know, it's just, you know, nobody saw it coming. 
nobody, you know, it, just, it was just out of nowhere. And, and it just, it blew everybody away. And probably really set the stage for the next film, Return of the Jedi. Oh, where yeah. people were like, I've, I've got to see what happens now. I have to see, you know, what happens with this. Uh, that, you know, that was, that's true. And crazy enough, that was a blockbuster plot twist, but it was just the sequel to the movie. To the very first film, it was only there were only two films out, so people were that invested at that point in the uh, in the Star Wars you know universe and in the and the and the um, the storytelling of Star Wars. By the second film, we were that invested, you know, to find out what was going on. But uh, another one, which I know you're gonna you're gonna wrinkle your brow up at, is uh, the Tyler Durden reveal in uh, Fight Club. That's on that's on my list as a simultaneous good and bad. Good and twist. bad. Okay. Well, yes. Explain. Explain what do you mean? Okay. Good as in, alright. It was a very novel twist, you know, in terms of I explained in a way why Edward Norton's character was acting like this. And then when you see the subsequent flashbacks, you know, of <laughs> Tyler telling him, remember all those times you did this and this and this? You're kind of like in a theater. It's like, oh, wow. Oh, okay. Okay. Right. But the bad of it is like, oh, (laughs) it just seemed like it cheaped out of, oh, oh, yeah. And and, and I, I, I will say this, Swiss. I'll say this. When I saw that when I was 19, I thought it was the greatest thing in the world. I was like, oh, man, this is, Men's Plot Twist is fantastic. It's awesome. As a grown-ass man, Yeah, yo. Yeah, yo. It loses some of its zeal as the years go on. Yeah, mm-hmm. And, and and for me personally, that's I never really liked that movie because I felt like Fincher was still too close to his movie, uh, his uh, music video roots. Mm. You know, there were certain shots where I was like, he was just showing off and doing things and it didn't really serve the story. Yeah, but that shit was beautiful, though. <laughs> <laughs> that I will say, yes. Well, I, I think as he got more mature as a, as a filmmaker. Yeah. He would still do those things, but they were they made a little more sense to the story and seemed a little less like, you know, like, you know, cinematic masturbation. I can't because I can do it. I will do it as opposed to, okay, the camera following you from all the way upstairs outside of the house in panic room made sense. Or you going through a keyhole, through a wire, down through a door to see the engine combust or whatever. You know, something like that, you know, it, it it made a little more sense as he used them later on. And he's, he uses very little of that now. Like mm-hmm. he's, he, he, he hardly ever does anything like anything as, uh, as intricate as that now. But um, and Edward Norton, oddly enough, has another example of a big twist in uh, Primal Fear. Oh, yeah. Okay. You know, where which was one. I don't really care for that movie. One. Mm-hmm. And then two, I saw that one coming a mile away. I was like, yeah, he's the guy. What are you talking about? You know, <laughs> but. Um, a, a, a one example of a good bad one for me. Speaking of David Fincher, is mm-hmm. the game. Oh my god! Uh, uh, Swiss, you go, you go, you go, you go, kick my ass. You've been telling me for years I need to watch it. 
God, please don't spoil it. Please don't. Okay. Uh, okay. You've not ooh. seen the game yet. You still haven't seen the game. That's right. I, and, and I will do so after this after this episode. I will do okay. so. Okay. <laughs> Just don't spoil it. <laughs> okay. So I won't spoil it. That's another one for me where I'm like, I love the film. I love watching it. I uh-huh. absolutely it is completely rewatchable. Okay. But at the same time, there's an element to it where I'm just like, huh? What? <laughs> <laughs> but moving on. Um okay. Leonardo character Leonardo DiCaprio's character in Inception. Mm. You know, at the end where he realizes he's the one who's stuck in the thing and uh-huh. you know, all of the Christopher Nolan nonsense or whatever, that's the one. Um <laughs> Christian Bale's character in The Prestige and how he how he achieves his quote magic. Have you seen The Prestige? No. Oh my God. It's okay. You, that one you can you can you can tell me. Well, no, no, no. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna spoil it. But it's a great movie, and it does have a twist at the ending. Okay. And it has a terrific performance by uh, well Hugh Jackman's terrific and it Bale's terrific. Um, I want to say Amy Adams is in it. Yeah. At least she's mm-hmm. in it. She's she's good, and then also there's a terrific performance by uh, David Bowie as Nikola Tesla. Oh, okay, yeah. okay, yes, yeah, very good. So that's another that's another example of a good one. And then back to Fincher, Amy Rosamund Pike's character in Gone Girl, we find out, oh, she's alive, and oh, she kills <laughs> Neil Patrick Harris's character while she's astride him and slashes his throat, and blood goes all over the bed and. <laughs> My God, dang! <laughs> oh, boy. but the greatest David Fincher, I think, plot twist of all, mm-hmm. and maybe it's more of a plot turn than a plot twist, but it is a bit of a plot twist. Okay, is what's in the box? There you go. What's yep. in the box? <laughs> <laughs> so, I took a souvenir. Her pretty head. Alf! What's this talking about? Give me your gun. What's going on over there? Put the, put the gun I down. I saw you with the box. Who was in the box? Because I envy your normal life. Put the gun down, David. It seems that envy is my sin. No, what's in the box? Not until you give me the what's gun. What's in the fucking box? Give me the gun. He just told you. You lied! You're a fucking liar! Shut up! Man, what you talking about? I saw that in a theater, and I was just like, oh, man. Just that feeling of the the movie already had this overriding sense of dread anyway, but when it came down to this one box and Kevin Spacey is there just looking smug as Kevin Spacey can look and just like, "Mm, mm, why don't you open the box? Mm." Mm -hmm. Oh, oh, what's in the box? And just, ah. Yes, yo. And just Brad Pitt being so plaintive and just what's in the he he, he knows what's in the box but he just, he don't want to know what's in the box he knows what's in there he knows oh. what's in the box yo and and, and uh, Morgan Freeman at Somerset oh Mister Mister So and So has the upper hand now put your gun down he's got the upper hand now like trying to talk him you know into at least put get separating himself from his weapon because he knows what's gonna happen and Brad Pitt was like I just got to do a yo but <laughs> <laughs> You know what? Mm. Uh, a quick aside for that is is best Halloween costume ever. Okay. Ever. 
was five or six years ago, maybe 10 years ago, Gwyneth Paltrow has a Halloween party and her whole costume is a box on her shoulders with with her head in it. <laughs> she has the box on her shoulders. So when you open the box, you see her face. That was her Halloween costume. That was the greatest, most meta Halloween costume of all time, yeah. sir. Yeah, that that wins. That 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 gets the the blue ribbon. <laughs> yeah, she she went hard with that one, yo. Oh, she went man. hard with that one. Uh this is one that kind of divides um, cinephiles and you know movie fans to this day. The ending of two thousand one, A Space Odyssey. The reveal of oh, you know oh. I still don't know what the fuck the reveal is. Is he is he a, a, a star baby now? Is he old? Is the is the that 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 black monolith stone thing? Is it what what what? You know what I'm saying? And it's almost like it's meant to be obtuse, but at the same time, you can look at it at its most basic and say, okay, he's being reborn now so it's the beginning the rebirth of the life cycle you know what i'm saying right and it's one of those where it's almost like the whole movie itself was a mcguffin like it's filled with mcguffins you see the black monolith at the beginning at the dawn of time we'll say and then you see it at the end of time you know at the end of this uh astronaut's life and then within that, you have the plot twist of, oh, HAL 9000, the you know, onboard computer becomes sentient. Right. Is he sentient? Is he alive? Is he, does he have the same emotions as a human? You know what I'm saying? That, that's one where there are so many plot twists and MacGuffins playing at once inside of a film that it almost, as obtuse as Kubrick can be, it yeah, works yeah. to me. And it's not one that I just pop in any time. Like, oh, I'm going to watch 2001 no, today. No. Nah, no. Nah. <laughs> Nobody's like, yo, man, I'm fucking with uh, I'm fucking with 2001, yo. Let's put that shit on Friday night, yo. We're going to get pizza and root beer. That's, that doesn't happen, yo. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But that shit the, is not happening. <laughs> exactly. And, and uh, I, can, I can name three times where I had not fallen asleep where I watched it all the way through, and I remember just being caught like, yes, this this movie is is great. It looks it looks fantastic for for the time it was made, but the plot twist and then the final reveals still still mystify me, and I'm sure they still mystify other people to this day as well. Yeah, it's it's pretty inscrutable, and I, and I agree with you that you know it's still an engaging film. It's still amazing to look at and Kubrick is definitely one of the greats in terms of uh you know his ability you know to craft visuals and to pull you through the story although still a lot of his movies have kind of cold to me and kind of flat and emotionless and agree yeah. uh you know they all they all seem like a bit dreamlike you know in in a weird way every single one of them it seems like uh a bit dreamlike but um but I, I would agree with you about 2001 is it is that is another one where I'm not sure if it quite worked. It, mm-hmm. Maybe it did, and then it didn't. I'm not. I'm not quite sure. But um, what are some other clear examples of black of, of bad plot twists that you can think of? Because I've got I've got several written down 
Quite a few are in the Star Wars universe, so get ready, G. Get ready. <laughs> <laughs> That's a, one of those, you, you, you're talking about Star Wars. One of those was going to be in Star Wars. Um, just the whole thing with, um, the, the whole reveal as far as like how, you know, um, by the actions of, of Anakin, you know, going off on his own, that, you know, kind of propels the the rise of, like, you know, uh, Palpatine and all this. And it's just like, oh, brother. You made the argument one time on one of our previous episodes a long time ago that <laughs> Lucas, he didn't have this stuff planned out. He must have just wrote this stuff, like, as he of was course. going. <laughs> of course. Because this stuff is like, what? What? <laughs> Yeah, and even <laughs> even like if you come to modern day, well, like going back to like Leia is Luke's twin sister. Mm-hmm. Okay, I mean that certainly makes you wanting to kiss her weird, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> Other than that, you know, you know, so and and it becomes a bit of a cheat where it's like okay, so now too many people are related to the hero, which makes his story a bit more complicated than it needs to be. Mm-hmm. Same thing in the uh, in the later prequels. Where it's like, oh, Palpatine's back. Okay, Where, where'd that come from? Right. And it's and it's delivered to you in kind of a uh, like ex uh, an exposition and kind of like an info dump. Oh, Palpatine's back. You don't see anything. There aren't any you know hints of it. It's just oh, Palpatine's back. Let's just cross our arms and figure this shit out. What <laughs> you know? And and the worst one for me was is that Ray is a Palpatine. Yeah. I was just like, oh my god. Oh my God! Y'all are just trying to put a nice, tidy, a New Hope bow, <laughs> an Empire re- Return of the Jedi bow on everything. You're just trying to put a nice, tidy bow on it, and uh-huh. I just, I just wasn't with it, man. I was just like, "All right, man, y'all, y'all not doing it for me." But why did the Emperor come for me? Why did he want to kill a child? Tell me. Because he saw what you would become. You don't just have power. You have his power. You're his granddaughter. You are a Palpatine. What are what are some other bad ones that you that you have? Uh... Uh, let's see. That's what I got on the list here. Um, I'll, I'll tell you one and. Uh, a lot of people going to disagree with me on, on this one. Um, and it's a classic one. Um, Alfred Hitchcock, um, North by Northwest. Oh, yeah. Yeah. There, there's no McGuff- There's a McGuffin in there, but it doesn't work. Like, it's just basically Cary Grant being Cary Grant just running from, you know, biplanes and crop dusters. <laughs> you know what right. I'm saying? It's right. like... Well, he was after the... There wasn't a plot twist in it, but he was after the government plans. Or wasn't it, weren't the government plans the see the you big... the, see you don't even know what it was. See, <laughs> <laughs> okay, he's he's going cross country, and, and and again, it's one of those things like we were saying with Fight Club. Okay, the movie looks great. I mean, it's like Cary Grant being suave and being Cary Grant. Oh yeah, he's hanging off Mount Rushmore. Oh Eve yeah, Saint Marie is by all him. All them shits, yo. All yeah. them shits, yo. <laughs> like it's okay. It got it, it has that, but as far as the McGuffin or the driving fulcrum of the 
of the plot is just like, uh, uh-uh. uh, yeah, uh, uh-uh. uh, nah, I ain't with it, I ain't with it, uh, uh-uh. uh. <laughs> so a couple others, uh, bad plot twists for me, and I, I do agree with you that uh, as far as North by Northwest, maybe even the Thirty Nine Steps too. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Maybe even that one too. But um, in Iron Man 3, I think it was, the Mandarin was Ben Kingsley just basically playing the role of some goofy actor. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I mean, he was funny. Uh-huh. Ben Kingsley is a great actor, so he was funny and he made it work. Yeah. But I was like, I don't get my Mandarin, yo. I'm not going to get the Mandarin, yo. I'm not getting that. <laughs> That messed me up. Uh-huh. Uh, m- my wife watched. She was a big fan of the uh, the Twilight Saga. Okay. And uh, Twilight uh, 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 Breaking Dawn Part Two. There's a final battle at the end of the movie, and I've seen it because it's been on cable a lot. Whenever it comes on, I should watch. Yeah. There's a final battle between the vampires and the werewolves. Where, I mean, they go all in. They cutting each other's heads off, disemboweling vampires. One girl jumps on the vampire's back and, and they they pull his head off his body and it's it's like a it's like an old Shaw Brothers movie with blood. <laughs> <laughs> it's just it's just wild and the vampires basically lay waste ultimately end up winning and laying waste to the uh, to the werewolves. Yeah, and then you find out it was just a vision that somebody put into the head of the head uh, the head werewolf to say, "Hey, don't fuck with us," and, and that's it. The whole battle was just a vision. What? That's that's that was it. And that was the last movie of the last the last sequence of the last movie of all of them of all of the films. And I was just like <laughs> Cause I I watched it when I finally saw said, wait a minute, oh this was a dream? She's like, Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, Okay, that's a cheat. Yeah. That's a cheat to the audience, but so, so a couple let me, more. Go ahead. Let me ask you this. So so when when your wife saw it, was she satisfied with the ending? Even though she knew that this was a vision put into the head werewolf's head, like she's satisfied with the she, resolution. She of never that? expressed any dissatisfaction. Let me put it okay. that way. Okay, all right. <laughs> so I was just like, I was like, you cool with this? This is like some Dallas shit. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, you know this is like. This is like that. Like, what? You know, oh, no, no, that wasn't really Spider-Man. That was a clone. I wasn't really right. Captain America. That was a clone. <laughs> what? <laughs> you know. Oh, man. <laughs> two more. And um, two from in my in Night Shyamalan. Um, the end of the village where we find out it's modern day. And these people don't know it's modern day. They're just living in the woods like the Amish. And you're like, huh? That's the big reveal. Uh, okay. Oh, boy, and then the other one is, and this is the one I was referring to earlier in Signs. <laughs> I think Signs is an incredibly well-paced, yeah. like scary, the way he they present, you know, the uh, the the possibility of aliens with the lights over the city mm-hmm. and the crop circles. And then the birthday, then the alien walking in a birthday the, party. The, the birthday in, uh, in in South America, whatever it was, and the aliens walking by like Bigfoot on that film. Yeah. You know, mid-stride. <laughs> oh, boy. I loved it. I loved it. And, and even the internal stuff with the minister who's lost his faith and he's trying to 
reconcile all of that. And his brother is reaching out to him, for, you know, for, you know, hey, can't you be like the old you? And he's, you know, I, can't you just comfort me? And he was like, and he tells him that story. He says, no one's looking out for us. You know, there's nothing out there. There's, there's no proof of anything that's out there. It's just us against whatever's, you know, the world or whatever. And, you know, almost like Tupac or something. <laughs> Me against the world. <laughs> but the plot twist at the end that the alien's weakness is water. But, but, you know that, but you know that goes back to, like, War of the Worlds. Oh, their weakness is sickness, illness. But that makes sense in War of the Worlds. Yeah. That story, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Here, it's just like, uh, Even in War of the Worlds, I would think if they're advanced enough to do all the stuff that the aliens did in that movie, mm-hmm. they would be advanced enough to know something about microbiotics and, and, and microorganisms and, and disease. There would be some form of that on their own planet that they would contend with in the same way that they'd be like, Hey, can we breathe in this atmosphere? Is the is the gravity going to crush our bodies because the density of our bones is not the same as the humans? They would have thought about all of that and, and sought it out. But the water thing, I'm like, okay, so you're aliens mm-hmm. who, who can travel across galaxies through wormholes or whatever. And you come to a planet that's 75% water mm-hmm. to face off with creatures that are 75% <laughs> water. <laughs> Who was the project manager on this invasion? I want to speak to him. <laughs> and uh, the other one for me was the ending of the movie Us, Jordan Peele's Us. Okay. Did you see it? Um, I did not see it, but I kind of know what the resolution was. But go ahead. Okay. It's worth checking out for you as a person who likes interesting science fiction and horror and and just interesting filmmaking. It's 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 worth checking out for that for that alone. But um, yeah, this whole idea of societies under the city and under the world, and you know, a, a, a different dimension. There's a doppelganger that's living your opposite life somewhere else. Mm. I don't know. It's it's an interest. It's an interesting movie to watch. But the ending did leave me a, a bit cold. But gotcha. Um, let me ask you this: because I don't think for me. As I've gotten older, I'm harder to impress when it comes to plot twists and really elaborate MacGuffins, mm-hmm. but definitely plot twists where I'm just like, eh, I don't know. You know what I mean? Like, I think, for instance, uh, there are two movies, uh, two modern movies. One's called Arrival mm-hmm. that had a twist at the end that was very good. Didn't see it coming, although they they, they let you know it's coming. But if you're not paying attention, because, you know, they're telling one story and then they're telling telling another story here, like a B story and an A story. Mm-hmm. And there's there's a reveal at the end of it, which I recommend anybody go see uh, movies with uh, Amy Adams and uh, Jeremy Renner and, uh, For- and Forrest, Forrest Whitaker. OK. Uh, and Denis Villeneuve uh, is the director. It's a beautiful film, too. All right. But that one got me from a modern sense. And then also the movie Barbarian, which is a horror movie. That just came out uh, just a year or two ago. Um, I think Alexander Skarsgård. Okay. Is in it, and uh, Jason Justin Long is in it, hmm. and Georgina Scott. I forgot the the uh, British actor's name. Anyway, that was another one where it was like, what? You know, damn. 
they they kind of kind of threw me with that one. But do you <laughs> do you do you feel like you can be impressed with plot twists now? Do you are you generally like even if it's well done, you just kind of like oh okay they did it. I I think so, and, and and it's interesting that you mentioned as well maybe not age being a total factor, but one of the factors absolutely. I think when we're younger. We're looking to be impressed. It's like, oh, I'm open for anything. Oh, you know what I'm saying? Just as mm-hmm. younger people, you know, looking for that excitement or that that pizzazz, if you will. But as you get older and you're experienced to more things, you've seen more movies or maybe even, you know, ingested more storytelling, more different types of storytelling. Of yeah, yeah. Yeah, it becomes a, a bit more um, um, difficult for, you know, plot twists to kind of get over on you. I um, I would agree, and I, I think it probably has less to do with age and more to do, like you said, with having consumed more stories, reading books, mm-hmm. short stories, comics, yeah, and certainly watching television shows and movies, and um, and now like even with uh, storytelling and television, where now uh, everyone is trying to do a prestige television show where they cast a bunch of high profile actors and then they kill one of them off suddenly. Mm-hmm. You know, to, 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 to throw everybody into a tizzy and to, do, to kind of do their, you know, as D would put it, it's very Game of thrones you know, <laughs> uh, which is which I think is what their goal is, is the goal is, to, is for it to kind of be, you know, to have that element to it or like uh, some of the elements in um, uh, The Wire, which I think all of the deaths in The Wire were pretty much earned yes. when they happened, mm-hmm. you know. For the major character, if a major character died or somehow met their demise, it was earned. Uh, Breaking Bad, similarly, you know, if, if, if a major character died or if a death was handed out or met out to someone, it was pretty earned by the time you got to it. And it felt inevitable that this this was going to be the conclusion. And th- and that's that's the perfect terminology, um, like with um, these plot twists, you know, that they have to be earned. Like people... Uh, moviegoers, some moviegoers may not be able to articulate it that way, but that's exactly what it is. Like, you know when mm-hmm. a certain twist in the plot or a certain whatever happens in the film has been earned. Like, you've gotten to this point and everything behind it as you recollect to this point makes sense to arrive here. Thus, it being earned. A bad plot twist really is when it has not and it just comes totally out of left field. Now, there are some movies that if if it's like, you know, some type of, you know, comedy or something like that, where it's very loosey-goosey, you can kind of accept that. But if it's a dramatic movie with a dramatic plot and they come with something like that, whatever uh, your idea of a bad plot twist is or whatnot, it just ruins almost the whole movie. Mm-hmm. It's like you can have this great meal but too much seasoning over here on this thing, and you you can't you can't get the taste of it out your mouth. Too much seasoning over here, man. Nah. <laughs> yep. Yep. Yeah. You'd be like, wow, you put way too much pepper on this fish. Yep. <laughs> you know, it was perfect, but you put way too much pepper on it, and uh, and you're right. It kind of it kind of ruins the uh, the entire meal for you in a big way. Mm-hmm. Um. Leaning into MacGuffins real quick. I'm going to just do a quick rapid fire. If you got something you want to throw out there, I'll, I'll, I'll definitely take them. Uh, the Maltese Falcon, the object in the movie, the, the titular movie of, you know, with that same name. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
nobody gave a shit about the Maltese Falcon. We wanted to see uh, Humphrey Bogart's character wear cool suits and smoke cigarettes and talk that shit. You know, that's what we were there for. Right. Every item in any Indiana Jones movie is a MacGuffin. Mm, Every single one. Even though we see, we see them, like we see the arc, we see what he was, you know, going through all of that for. (laughs) Yeah, but but, I mean, we don't really care. We're like, oh, he's got to get the arc. We don't even know that the arc is magical until we actually get to the end of the movie and we see people's faces melt. (laughs) Then we know, oh, this wasn't just a box with a bunch of scrolls and and jewelry in it. (laughs) And... You know, whatever. All right. In the uh, in the Coen Brothers movie, The Big Lebowski, the rug that Jeff Lebowski is looking for. Yeah. It's a it's a total MacGuffin. Who cares about a rug? I gotta get my rug, man. <laughs> a total MacGuffin. Probably one of the greatest MacGuffins of all time, at least as far as modern cinema in the last thirty years, is Marcellus Wallace's glowing briefcase. I knew you was gonna say. I knew you was gonna bring that up. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. You know, we never find out what it is, why it's important, why is it glowing. Mm-hmm. You know, when when uh, when Jules shows it to uh, to Ringo, yeah, and Ringo says it's beautiful. We still don't know what it is and why it's beautiful and why he was impressed by it. Yeah. Um, you know, there's 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 online um, there's online uh, 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 well, like uh, speculation Reddit groups and whatnot. Yeah. Yeah, who are saying, oh, it was it was Marcellus' soul that was inside the uh, the briefcase. I'm like, okay, all right, man. <laughs> all right, bro. Whatever, yo. <laughs> but a couple others. Uh, the ring from the Lord of the Rings, the one to rule them all. Yeah. Total MacGuffin. Total MacGuffin. Mm-hmm. You know. Uh, the rabbit's foot in Mission Impossible 3. We never even find out what the rabbit's foot does. <laughs> you know. And they, they even made a point of giving it a name mm-hmm. that's, you know, a very spy-centric name, the rabbit's foot. Oh, boy. Um, uh, in terms of people who were MacGuffins, um, the guy Doug in the movie The Hangovers, the one that they were looking for, for throughout the whole movie. Yeah. It's a MacGuffin. It's definitely a MacGuffin. And for you, you'll love this one, but The Pursuit of Colonel Kurtz in Apocalypse Now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. Considering we never see Marlon Brando commit any of the atrocities that he's accused of, he's only on screen for like less than 20 minutes, maybe, maybe 20 minutes, maybe less than that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, he, he's literally a rumor until we see him face off against... Uh, against Willard. Martin Sheen's character, yeah, at the, at the very end. And he's a total MacGuffin. It's just... It's just an excuse for these characters to go down the river into this dark, desolate place mm-hmm. and to terminate his command with prejudice. <laughs> uh, and, you know, that's kind of it. That's really kind of it. And then, you know, the, the plans for the Death Star. Oh, yeah. Again, MacGuffin. Who, who really gives a shit? <laughs> terminate the colonel. He's out there operating without any decent restraint, totally beyond the pale of any acceptable human conduct. And he's still in the field commanding troops. Terminate with extreme prejudice. That is a great point. Oh, man, that is an excellent point about Apocalypse Now and Kurtz. 
it's almost like, you know, in some ways, some movies, you know, really succeed at using MacGuffins to use these this tale as a parable, if you will. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like, it meet, the characters are on a mission to this, but o- the overarching theme is they're going in search of themselves or something internal that is being expressed through their mission. You know what I'm saying? It's the same thing like the treasure of the Sierra Madre. You know, they're going for this treasure, but really there's, there is no treasure. You know, they get there and it's like, there's this dust. There is no treasure, you know, but the parable is what greed does to man to make him go to these extremes. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? And the same thing with Apocalypse Now, you know, ostensibly it's a mission, but the overall parable is within this war that's already insane you're going on this insane journey into darkness into the heart of darkness the heart of darkness yes, quite exactly literally. yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> so that's the parable of it and i find that it's stuff like that would impress me we were, we were circling back as an older you know um uh, person of you know who enjoys entertainment and storytelling I would find that those type of um, plot twists and MacGuffins, if they reveal some type of overall parable that reveals not only something about the characters, but something that we as, uh, you know, people can relate about ourselves, that type of stuff would tend to make a bigger impression on me now than, you know, when I was a younger man. Yeah, and just to say the... um the the MacGuffinness of, of Colonel Kurtz as it relates to the plot of Apocalypse Now is Kurtz is descended into madness and he has been living there for a while. And Martin Sheen's character is on his way and them sending him on this mission is basically just winding him up as a weapon and sending and aiming aiming him at Kurtz. Mm. And he, he's more than willing to be wound up because he's already losing it. He's in that hotel room doing karate and cutting his hand and shit. And, you know, <laughs> you know he's, he's, he's ready to lose it anyway. But, um, but yeah, for sure. I was going to say, I think probably one of the more compelling modern day examples of MacGuffin might be like the Infinity Gauntlet in uh, the Avengers movies. Okay. You know, you know, we're over... Multiple films, you know, they're chasing this stone and that stone and this stone and that stone, and then it finally culminates. Um, and uh, and then ultimately, it was really about them kind of coming to grips with, you know, with their loss and their grief and and with their differences of opinion and, and coming together as a team. That was really what the movie was about. Exactly. Uh, the Infinity Gauntlet was just a reason to do so, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And that's what I mean. Like, if there's some overarching theme. You know, that's a bit more satisfying than just the MacGuffin itself. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would agree. I would agree. Um, all right. Last bit I will I wanted to ask was um, is to talk. Let's talk a little bit about um, directors who are best known for film twists and plot twists, mm. including, you know, the aforementioned like Alfred Hitchcock. Yeah. Uh, one of his acolytes, Brian De Palma. Mm, uh, yes. Dario Argento. Okay, all right, all right. Uh, M. Night Shyamalan, of course. We've mentioned him several times already in the conversation. And also the aforementioned David Fincher. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They all have more than two, in some cases, three films where 
there is information that is that is found out at you know toward the end of the uh, the third act that really turns the film on its head or changes things for you know for the audience and for the characters but um and i know you're a, a fan of most of these most of these folks if not all of them uh on on some level but sure um talk a little bit about you know de palma who i know is one of your awful, your big favorites in terms of <laughs> oh man how he handles it yeah and you know and i was going to say that uh, i think most people would say that hitchcock is the you know the grandfather you know, of like the twist, if you will. You know, not not Chubby Checker, but <laughs> <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah. You know, the the comparisons are always made. You know, especially with the Palma, it's like something being Hitchcockian. And I remember, and I know that people use that same you know adjective. You know, for uh, M. Night Shyamalan as well. You know, it's Hitchcockian. You know, anytime there's the uh, plot twist revealed or whatnot. Um, but going back to De Palma, he's almost like, how can I put it? Hitchcock wore his, um, what, did he, what did he say? Hitchcock wore like his obsessions on his sleeve, you know, mm-hmm. but he had to do mm-hmm. it in a very <laughs> muted way. Whereas mm-hmm. the Palmer wears his obsessions on his sleeve too, and he's just giving it to you. Yeah, ah. yeah. <laughs> Standing here in my box of draws, just yeah. ah. let me all hang out. Yeah, that's. I think that's one of the ways that the Palmer is definitely an acolyte of uh, Hitchcock. You know, in terms of like, you know, relating not only these twists, um, these plot twists or whatnot. But going farther, it's almost as if De Palma took those lessons from Hitchcock and he just went farther with them. Because in essence, a lot of those early De Palma films, they are Hitchcock films, but with the added, um, I won't say gore, because they're not like, even though there's blood. But it's as if Hitchcock, if he was able to not make films underneath that you know that Hayes code you know what I'm saying of the 40s and 50s but he was transplanted to the 70s and he could really let all of his obsessions hang out those are the films that he would have been making you know guaranteed guaranteed and and I I love De Palma um because even with a lot of the real extreme violence He's such a cinematic storyteller, and he has such a uh, a deftful hand in terms of the camera, yeah, and how to frame, and um, you know, like you know, I think about like body double, you know, mm. that scene mm-hmm. with the drill, with the uh, the oh. Native American and the drill at the beginning, yeah, um, and even though there is blood and gore, and there are people who are being you know, who are you know they're getting they're getting asses handed to them by you know by, <laughs> by very violent means. It's still yeah. very beautiful and very cinematic, and it definitely feels like a theater experience. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. when you're when you're watching it. Um, I would say similarly with uh, with Argento, but I think M Night Shyamalan is probably the filmmaker who's been saddled the most with people waiting for a twist, and he still does it to this day. I saw Old, which is one of his later movies, uh-huh. and it was not great. It was not great. Um, and then the uh, the cabin at the end of the world. I think that's what the book is called, but I forget what. Uh, Knock at the cabin. Knock at the cabin. His last movie. His last. Oh yeah. Yeah. 
Okay. That was actually pretty good. There were a few elements in there that kind of lost me a little bit, but it was it was really good. The performances were great. Probably Dave Bautista's best performance. Hmm, best performance. Okay. He was he was absolutely wonderful in it, and he carries the movie. Cool. Um, so I, I would definitely recommend that. But he he probably has been saddled the most with people waiting on a on a on a on a uh, on a plot twist. Um, as far as that's concerned. That concludes this episode of Sidebar Forever, hosted by Dwight Clark, Swain Hunt, and Adrian Johnson. You can find us online at sidebarforever.com. Any emails or questions can be directed to us at sidebarforever at gmail.com. And also, subscribe to us on social media. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and Instagram.